This is The Connection, a Dirty Free Hub podcast connecting gravel cyclists to where they ride through short stories about culture, history, people, places, and lands. Bryologist, mycologist, and lichenologist Tim Wheeler works to dedicate his life studies towards non-vascular plants and over the last 20 years now holds 16,000 specimens in his collections, some of which are actually named after him. Joining us today, Wheeler describes some fascinating tidbits on this creature we commonly call wolf lichen. I think there's something like 22,000 named species of lichen in the world. So there's lots of diversity out there. And we're describing about a thousand new species of fungi to science every year across the globe. What's that? Three species, three new species of fungi to science every day. Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining us today here at Dirty Free Hub. Yeah, you bet. I commonly see these bright yellow green, mossy looking shrub like plants of some sort and covering surface. Uh, what exactly is this wolf lichen? So the wolf lichen is Saria vulpina, and that's the scientific name. So all organisms have a scientific name, a genus, and a species. What's interesting about lichens is that they're not just one organism. So they're a composite of many different organisms. And so that name, wolf lichen, describes the whole lichen, but its scientific name, Lotharia vulpina, actually just describes the major fungal component of the lichen. There's algae in there. There's green algae in that lichen as well. It also has its own scientific name. And actually recent studies in Lotharia specifically have found a whole host of other organisms, other fungi, other bacteria, etc. And so it's kind of good to think of a lichen as more of like a mini ecosystem than a single organ, one organism. Where are they usually found and where do they usually grow? It grows mostly in Western North America, from Mexico up to Alaska. There's a couple specimens in Northeastern Canada. But it also grows in Europe, continental Europe, from Scandinavia down to Italy. Here in Western North America, it's actually quite abundant, quite common. You see it on any, it mostly prefers conifer trees, so pine trees and fir trees, usually at middle to higher elevations. And some trees can just be completely covered with this yellowy, green, chartreuse, shrubby creature. And it's not all necessarily Lotharia vulpina. There are three or four other species of Lotharia in Western North America, and they all kind of look similar. There's the same chartreuse, yellow-green color, shrubby. But there are some microscopic and some small differences. And then oftentimes um, the genetics is quite different as well. But from, from 20 feet away, they all look the same and they can grow intermixed on, on these trees. Rarely does it grow on rocks. Sometimes in the right conditions, you can see it growing over moss on rocks, but it prefers to be up in the trees. It's not taking nutrients. It's not a parasite. It doesn't hurt the tree. Lichens in general are very gr- slow growing. And needles and leaves will always grow faster and help compete lichens for space and light. And it's only when a tree dies, so the needles fall off, the leaves fall off, that all of a sudden there's all this light. And so then you sometimes can get what we call a bloom, and the lichens will actually increase on these dead trees. And so oftentimes people think the lichens are killing the trees, but they're not. They're just hanging on there. They get all their nutrients from uh, the sun. So the algal, the algae in the lichen photosynthesize, just like other plants, producing sugars. They share those sugars with the fungal part, which is really good at capturing moisture and other minerals. Um, And so they work together and they can often grow in places where the individual parts can't. 
yeah, they're definitely very interesting little creatures, as you put it. Like, kind of seeing them as almost a little, like, mystical or magical because they're just so different. They're so different. You know, in Europe, this is actually an endangered species. Um, it used to be very common across northern Europe hundreds of years ago, but because of air pollution and hundreds of years of air pollution, it's actually um, been extirpated in many countries. There's only a handful of countries now that it exists in. And in those countries, there's only a few populations left. So it's a very interesting phenomenon because it's so abundant here in the West. I don't have any definitive evidence that Lotharia is coming back, but I think the trend in, for lichens in general is that they're starting to come back. Yeah. Is this species of fungi, I guess, are, are they poisonous? One of the cool things about lichens is they produce all these what we call secondary metabolites. And these are just chemicals that they produce for various reasons. Some of them are for like a UV blocking agent. Mm -hmm. So they protect lichens from the sun. Oftentimes you see lichens tops of mountains or the tops of trees where they get hit with heavy sunlight. Um, some of them do that. Some of them are anti-herbivory. So they are poisonous or they taste bad. They're bitter. And so that slows down little insects and microinvertebrates and other things from eating too much of them. And Lotharia in particular produces this chemical called vulpinic acid. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes the yellow color. Historically, recipes that trappers, old trappers used to use to kill wolves and coyotes and stuff like that. And what they would do is grab a whole wad of this lichen, kind of crush it up, powder it up, mix it with glass, broken glass and nails, and then stuff that into a carcass of another animal. And then the wolves and coyotes would come and feed on that, consuming the Lotharia and dying. Um, it turns out you have to use a pretty strong concentration of vulpinic acid to kill a, a mammal. It was most likely the ground glass and the nails were actually killing them more than the, the wolf lichen per se. But yes, it is toxic to, it's interesting. There's some, there's studies that say it's toxic to meat eating mammals only, but like mice and some ungulates, deer and goats and things can eat it. Um, however, it is bitter. That volcanic acid is very bitter. And while caribou and deer and stuff like maybe 50, 80% of their diet in the winter will be composed of lichens. There's always tastier lichens to eat than Lotharia. Has wolf lichen been used for any specific purpose historically? And how about today if there has been purposes? You can get really cool colors for dyeing wool and other clothing and, and textiles. A lot of lichens have been used as fixatives for like perfume and dyes and stuff like that. So that makes the color and the smell last longer. And kind of like the popular thing nowadays is people collect Lotharia for miniature train sets like as trees or in terrariums or other decorative creative art stuff. There is some protein in there, but that volcanic acid is not something you really want to be eating. It's not really used for food for human. And lichens in general aren't really used as human food. Um, historically, they were in certain cultures, but more kind of a famine item. It's not like a delicacy that people really go after. Yeah, I imagine if it's already bitter for like animals, I can't imagine for humans. There's ways you can prep it and prepare it. Like you can mash and boil and cook anything off. So you, you could make it more palatable. But, I mean, I don't I don't recommend just eating, throwing things in your mouth willy-nilly without some expertise, but yes. Rumor has it that mountain goats rely on it as a food source. Is this a myth or a fact or something Kira has completely made up? Honestly, I don't have any specific evidence that mountain goats love this lichen but they can they do eat other lichens there are these lichens that grow on rocks called rock tripes they'll nibble on those and there are other shrubby hair lichens like lotharia different genus and species that don't have those chemicals so deer here in montana uh, and caribou and reindeer up in the north in the winter time 
something like 80% of their diet can be composed of lichens. Um, so they can rummage through the snow and eat the ground lichens. Or when the snow depths get deep enough, they can reach the lichens hanging from the trees. Birds make nests, use it as nesting material, it camouflages nicely. Um, and there's a whole suite of little invertebrates, little insects and things that live in the lichens. So it's a little ecosystem in an ecosystem. I know we talked a little bit about where lichen lives, but where can you find it typically if you are in an area and, you know, keeping your eyes a little open to see where it's at? Yeah. So I think most people first recognize it because you'll see like a, a fairly old conifer and the whole trunk is just mm-hmm. covered with a bright yellow green, like almost every square inch is, is lichen. Um, and that's great to see because that means it's a, it's a good indicator of healthy, clean air. That is wild. Is there ways that cyclists, you know, if they see Lotharia, if there's a, is there ways that can help protect it or things they can do in their daily life to encourage it to grow? That's a good question. You know, these things are fairly slow growing. And the, the interesting thing about Lotharia, Volpina specifically, is it reproduces asexually. So what does that mean? It doesn't have sex and produce children, essentially. What it does is little pieces of the, the lichen break off. And they wash away in the rain, they stick to an animal's fur, bird feathers, or they blow away in the wind. And when they land again on another surface, if the conditions are right, that little fragment is a little clone and it'll grow into a new whole lichen. You know, if you you could, if you're doing a big, you know, hundred mile ride through the mountains and you grab a chunk of Lotharia at the beginning and you kind of crumble it in your hand as you're riding, you're essentially spreading those little propagules, those little clones everywhere along your trail. And Potentially, they could land in the right place and start new lichens. But most of these sites, when you get get to get up to them, you'll see there's almost every branch, every trunk is covered with this stuff already. So they're not here in Western North America. They're not endangered or threatened. I think the biggest threat would be air pollution. Second would be logging. But you know, even you know, you hear things like the dust from the roads and stuff, like cars and gravel roads push up dust, and that can coat vegetation on the side of the road. It doesn't seem to bother lichens. There's actually some evidence that it helps them. So the minerals in the crushed rock and the gravel actually get deposited on the lichen. And even some plants can use it too. And then when it rains, it gets washed off. It gets incorporated into the soil, into the, the bark and stuff. And the lichens can use those minerals to grow. Fascinating. I would never think for such a small little creature. Everybody's seen it. If you if you spend yeah. any time in the West, in the mountains, you've seen it. You might not know what it is, but it it's pretty common. I didn't even know there was lichenologists, but that gives me a lot of um, respect for this sort of field because of how microscopic some of this stuff can be. Yep, we're, we're all kind of interested in the fungal tree of life. So fungi have been on the planet for billions of years. And, you know, they kind of control, we like to think as mycologists, they control everything, um, mm-hmm. nutrient cycling to erosion, all this stuff. Um, so we think they're pretty important um, and there's lots to be discovered. Well, thank you so much, Tim. This was actually very interesting to learn about, especially seeing something so common around here. Yeah, good luck. Let me know if you guys have any other questions. Dirty Free Hub is a nonprofit organization fueled by your generous contributions. Find us at dirtyfreehub.org.